0: All right, good morning. Uh, If you would, go ahead and grab your Bibles and open them up to Luke chapter 7. We're going to start by reading uh, verses 36 through 50. Again, that's Luke chapter 7. We're going to read verses 36 through 40. Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water from my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You do not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that... You inspired Luke by your Holy Spirit to to write down this account for us so that thousands of years later we could read from your word together this morning and benefit from it. So I pray that you would would send that same spirit that inspired Luke to uh, to equip us and uh, empower us to understand and apply your word together this morning that... Uh, we wouldn't hear this story uh, about your son's interaction with Simon and this woman and and leave here unchanged by it, but that your word would have its intended effect in us this morning, that we would would submit and, and repent and uh, receive conviction for our sins in, in the areas in which we need to. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice, that it's because of your righteous life and your substitutionary death in our place and your victorious resurrection that you can cancel the debt that we can't pay, that we can be forgiven much, and that we can love because you have loved us first. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So this passage in this passage, we get this account of, of Jesus going to the house of this Pharisee, and while he's there, this woman comes and, you know, performs this incredibly loving act for him. And um, I just I just got to be honest with you and tell you that this is a passage that that I don't like very much. Uh, and the reason why I don't like it very much is because it's one of those passages in Scripture, and, and there's a lot of them that like hit you with the truth of God's word in two drastically different ways. So if you're really trying to submit yourself to this passage, you're going to walk away feeling the weight of of two different things and areas in which you need to grow. Um, And so I I hope that it does that for you this morning as well. Just so that I'm not the only one out here on my own sitting under this, you know, all week by myself thinking about these things. Even this morning uh, at our home when I was stressed out about getting here so that we could plug in all this new equipment for the first time and see what worked and what didn't work and all the problems we would have. And uh, me and my wife had a, a short spirited discussion uh, about <laughs> things that needed to happen before I left. Uh, And I was only thinking about what I needed and not other people. And so I hope that you get to experience some of the conviction that I've been experiencing as I've been studying this passage this week. And so I said I don't like it. I also like it, right? My flesh doesn't like it. Uh, God's spirit within me loves this passage and its effect in me. So what's happening here is this Pharisee asked Jesus to come over to his house And uh, Luke says that they're reclining at table, and that maybe gives us a little bit of hint that this is a, a Sabbath meal. Uh, and so, what was customary was that on the Sabbath, people would invite the person that would teach or that taught in the temple into their home for dinner. And so, it seems like that might be what's happening here, especially later when uh, you know Simon calls Jesus teacher, that Jesus may be taught in a synagogue, and so Simon invites him over. But what's really interesting about the fact that Simon, this Pharisee, invites Jesus into his house is that it tells us some stuff about Simon. And what it tells us, uh, we kind of learned from last week's passage, right? The very end of last week's passage, verse 34, that says, The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And then back. In Luke 5.30, the the Pharisees complain to Jesus because he's eating with tax collectors and sinners. So the Pharisees say, you know, Jesus eats too much. He drinks too much. He spends too much time with tax collectors and sinners. He shouldn't eat with those kinds of people. So Simon, inviting Jesus into his home for dinner, clearly Simon believes that he's not those kinds of people. Right? Jesus shouldn't eat with sinners. He should eat with Pharisees. But Simon is a sinner, and we're going to find that out as we work through this passage. So Simon, he thinks he's good enough for Jesus to come into his house. He thinks that he's not like those other people that Jesus eats with, Jesus should eat with him. He invites him over, and Jesus comes over, and he's reclining at table, and Luke tells us, Behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster, fla- alabaster flask of ointment. So Jesus is there. He's reclining at a table. He's eating. And this woman hears that Jesus is there. And Luke tells us that she's a woman of the city. He tells us that she's a sinner. He doesn't say what kind of sinner she was, just that she was someone who was a sinner. Society viewed her in that way. She wasn't a Pharisee like Simon. She was a sinner. She hears Jesus is there and she goes and she gets this alabaster flask of ointment. Alabaster is a soft stone that they use to make little perfume bottles out of it. So that's what she goes to her house, she gets. And in another gospel, we find out that this, this jar of perfume would have cost over 300 denarii. And since, you know, you guys probably aren't up on your U.S. dollar denarii uh, exchange rates, I'm going to give you a little bit of math here. A, denari- a denarius was worth a day's wages. And so if we did minimum wage in Hannibal, 945. 40 hours a week, and you work 50 weeks a year, you get two weeks of vacation. That amounts to $18,900. So a day's wages, 1890, divided by the, you know, the, the 350 days you work is $54 a day minimum wage. So one denarius, we'll say a day's labor, is $54. So 300 denarii is $16,200. So this is some really nice perfume. $16,200. She goes to her house. She gets this flask worth $16,000. And look at what she does in verse 38. Standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. So the first thing here is we need to not do what I do when I come to this passage, and that is view it from a, from a, you know, modern Western lens. Because here I read this passage, and I think Jesus is sitting at this table, and this woman comes up behind him, and she starts to do this stuff with his feet. And I think, I picture him sitting in this chair, her behind him on the floor, and like her hair and her everything through the back of the chair trying to get his feet, and I think that just doesn't make sense. Like, what's, what's happening here? What's happening here is that he's not sitting in a chair, right? Because they weren't sitting around a table like we do. He's reclining at table. And so he's kind of lounging, and his feet are out to the side. And so that's how she comes up, and she starts doing this to his feet. She washes her feet with his tears. Uh, She washes them with her hair. She kisses them with her mouth. And she breaks a $16,000 jar of ointment and pours it on his feet. And another thing we need to get, because our Western lens kind of ruins this passage for us, is even if, you know, personally, I I think feet are gross. I don't don't like to be barefoot. I don't like my feet to get dirty. I assume that all of your feet are dirty and that you should keep them away from me. Um, And that's in... Our culture, and our society, where we all wear shoes and socks, or even if you wear flip-flops, outside is pretty clean. In Jesus' time, outside was not clean. The streets were filled with sewage and trash and uh, animal droppings and all manner of things. Uh, uh, if you're one of the people that has been to India where Dinesh lives, it's kind of like that there. There's not sewage, and so it's just right outside your front door in the street. Um, Jesus walked down those roads. He had that stuff on his feet. His feet were gross and dirty. Jesus is perfect, but his feet were gross. <laughs> <laughs> right, Just because you're the son of God doesn't mean that you don't pick up on your feet everything that everybody else does. And this woman, she comes in and she starts to clean his feet with her tears, with her hair. She kisses them. She pours the most expensive possession she has on his feet. That's, that's insane. That's a kind of, of self-denial and self-sacrifice and surrender that, that we don't have and we don't see. She performs this amazing, loving act towards Jesus because of how she feels about him uh, that if we're honest, we probably wouldn't do. She does something that if, if we were there would probably make us uncomfortable. And that's exactly what happens to Simon. Verse 39, when the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself... If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And so Simon here is making two very big assumptions. The first assumption that he's making is he's making the assumption that a true prophet wouldn't let this woman do what she does. That there, there's something, Jesus is doing something wrong by letting this woman do it. And so because of that, Jesus can't really be a prophet. And the second Assumption that he's making is he's assuming that Jesus doesn't know that she is a sinner, so he can't be a prophet because a prophet wouldn't do wouldn't let her do this, and a prophet would know that she's a sinner, and because he knows she's a sinner, he wouldn't let her do this. Um, but Jesus, in his response to Simon, is going to reject both of those assumptions. He's going to let him know that he knows that she's a sinner, and lets her do it anyway because of what it shows about her. So Simon. or Jesus is going to give him this parable. He says, I got something to say to you. Simon says, say it. And he's going to regret that in a couple minutes. Jesus says, A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon says, The one who has the bigger debt, cancel him. Jesus says, You're absolutely correct. So, first, you know, we got to go back to our denarii math. One denarii is $54. 500 denarii is $27,000. 50 denarii is $2,700. Now, really, right, somebody forgiving a debt of almost three grand, like, that's, that's pretty good. But having a debt of almost $30,000 forgiven, that's a lot greater. And Jesus is saying the person who has the bigger debt forgiven is going to be more thankful. He's going to be more uh, happy with his master for forgiving that debt. Simon sees it. Jesus sees it. That's what he says. And then Jesus is going to draw this conclusion. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. So he's saying, you didn't do these things. She did these things. Simon didn't give him anything to wash his feet. He didn't greet him with a kiss. He didn't anoint his head with oil. These are all things that, I mean, Simon isn't, isn't sinning by not doing these things. You know, they weren't like cultural requirements. But what is clear is that Simon, in inviting Jesus into his home, didn't show him any hospitality other than inviting him, right? He didn't wash his feet when he came in. He didn't kiss him and greet him at the door as other people in the culture would have done. And he didn't, uh, you know, anoint his head with oil, so this woman shows Jesus the kind of hospitality in Simon's house that Simon should have shown him. And Jesus is going to tell us why she does this and Simon doesn't. He says Therefore I tell you, so this is the, the application here, I tell you her sins are forgiven which are her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much but he who is forgiven little loves little. So we've got He's and hers in this statement. The her, of course, is the woman. The he, of course, is Simon. Simon is forgiven little because he loves little. She loves much. She is forgiven much. Now, there's a couple of ways we could take this, what Jesus says about this woman. When he says, therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven for she loved much. We could say that... Jesus is saying because of her actions, because of what she's done, because she you know, washed his feet with her tears and her hair, because she kissed them, because she anointed them with ointment, because she's done these things, she is forgiven. Her actions have earned her forgiveness. That's option one. That's the wrong option. Option two is that Jesus is saying uh, because of her actions... We can see, we can, we can understand, we can conclude that she has truly had her sins forgiven. Her actions are evidence that she's experienced forgiveness for her sins. And if you skip down to verse 49, he's going to tell us that this is the right action. He says, those who were, were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who can even forgive sins? He said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So, right there at the end, of the, par- uh, the end of the passage, Jesus is telling us that she is saved on the basis of her faith in him. Not on her actions, not on breaking this expensive perfume jar, not on washing his feet, not on, you know, kissing them. It's because of her faith in Jesus that he is who he says he is, that he came to do what he came to do, that he is the one in whom we find forgiveness. It's because of her faith in him that she has salvation. So he's not saying that because of her actions she has forgiveness. He's saying that her forgiveness shows or her, her actions show that she has experienced forgiveness because she's been forgiven. She loved him in this way. And on the flip side, Simon loves little because he's been forgiven little. And so what we're seeing here is what John talks about in 1 John, we love because he first loved us. We love in response to the love that God has poured out on us in Christ. Her actions demonstrate that despite her past, despite the fact that she's a woman of the city, despite the fact that people consider her a sinner, she has been forgiven by her faith in Christ. And because of that forgiveness she's experienced, she loves much. Simon, on the other hand, does not He has been forgiven little. And I think the reason why he's been forgiven little is what we've already talked about in this passage. Simon is a Pharisee. And the Pharisees are the people that are religious. The Pharisees are the people that that know the things of God. The Pharisees are the people that tell other people how to do or not do what we're supposed to do in order for God to like us and love us. He is somebody that points out sin in other people that calls other people sinners. He himself is not one of those people. So Simon, because of his hypocrisy, because of his pride, because of who he thinks he is, has not experienced the forgiveness that Jesus has offered because he doesn't think that he needs it. He's past all of that. And so when we come to a passage like this, I think the way we want to respond to it is we want to see this this amazing, incredible act of love from this woman and leave here and say, let's be like that. Let's let's love in these amazingly self-sacrificial, generous, incredible ways. Let's go home and break our most expensive possession for Jesus. right? Just to show we love him. And... We should do some of those things, right? We should apply this passage in those ways. Uh, Maybe, you know, don't, don't break stuff, but maybe you do need to sacrifice some economically for Jesus. But the reason why we want to respond just that way to this passage is because we don't want to see ourselves in the Pharisee, which shows that we are like him. Right? We, we don't want to be someone who doesn't consider themselves a sinner. We don't want to think that it's possible for us to be like that because that's what other people do. That's not what we do, right? Uh, we're at BC and we, you know, read books about, about gospel-centered gospel things. And, you know, we're talking about how we're broken and we're in need of forgiveness um, but I think sometimes we fail to realize how much we are like Simon. How we think that we've got all this stuff down. We're the people that get to point out sin in other people. We're the people that get to talk about you know, the things that God says we need to do and not do. That's, that's something that's for us. And when we do that, we're forgetting how sinful we are. We're forgetting who we really are. We're we're putting ourselves in a place that's over Jesus. Because we want to say, you should go to these people's houses and be with these people and not with these other people. Now, we should, right? Whether, Whether we're more like this woman or more like the Pharisee, the response to this passage is for us to be motivated to love more. But this passage doesn't say that the way in which we love more, the way in which we love like this woman, the way in which this love is produced in us, it doesn't say that it's by our willpower, right? The, the application is not for us to leave here and say, let's just buckle down and love people. Let's just white-knuckle it until, you know, we see this kind of thing produced in us. Jesus says, what produces this kind of love? What produces this kind of love is much forgiveness. And so when we're not loving in these ways, when we're not loving sacrificially, when we're not serving sacrificially, when we're not surrendering all that we are and all that we have for Jesus, it's not because we don't have enough willpower. It's because we forget how much we've been forgiven. It's because we forget who we really are. Because if we remembered who we really are apart from Christ, we would love like this woman loves. And so the response for us is to remember who we are. Remember how much Jesus or how much God in Christ has forgiven us. We are the ones with the $27,000 debt. We are the ones who can't do anything to pay it back. But he decided to forgive it. Because Christ paid what we owe. He lived the life that we couldn't live in our place. He died under the weight of our sin for us on the cross. And he rose again announcing his victory over sin and death and Satan. We love because he first loved us. And his resurrection means that he's alive. So he still loves us. And so our love the way in which we should love one another, the way in which we should love our community. It's not something that we do out of our own strength or our own power or our own willpower. We do it in response to the love that he has poured out on us in Christ. And we remember and recognize how much he's loved us by reminding ourselves of how much we've been forgiven. And I'm not talking about one-time forgiveness. I'm talking about forgiveness today. I'm talking about the forgiveness that we're going to experience this week as we go out and fail, as we go out and sin, as we go out and we treat other people harshly, as we go out and we don't love other people in the way we're called to love other people. It's in those moments we need to remember that God has forgiven us, not just of past sins in Christ, but of past, present, and future sins in us. He paid the penalty for all of them on the cross. And so even as we fail to love others in the way that we're called to love others, reminding ourselves and seeing that we're failing to love and we've been forgiven of that should motivate us to love. Right? It's when we deny the fact that we are sinners, that we are broken, that we do fall short, that we love little. And So don't hide from your sin confess it, and receive the forgiveness. I'm not saying, right, let's go out and sin more so that we can love more. That's that's the opposite of what we're supposed to do with the gospel. Paul talks about that in Romans. But the reality is that we have been forgiven much. There's none of us with just a $2,700 debt. We can't say that this woman, you know, is just more sinful than everybody else, and that's why she loves the way she does. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us are sinners deserving death from Him. But He's given us life in Christ. He's loved us, even though we don't deserve it, and even though we can't earn it. And so I hope that this week, as we go out from this place, that we would be motivated to love. That we wouldn't, you know, force it. But that Reminding ourselves and remembering how much we've been forgiven, how much we will be forgiven this week because of our brokenness and because of our sin and because of the ways in which we fall short would motivate us to love others in the way that he's called us to. That we would be less like this Pharisee and more like this woman because of what Christ has done for us. And so as we celebrate the Lord's Supper today and as we continue in worship together, Let's let's worship as people who are sinners, who have been forgiven, and not as people who think that we deserve Jesus to come to our house. Not as people who think that we don't need his forgiveness. Not as people who think that we've got it all down and, and his word and his good news and his gospel are for somebody else. It's for us. We need it. We are the sinners. We are the broken ones. All of us, are in this together. Let's pray and then Jason will come and introduce the Lord's Supper. Father, I thank you that that you love your creation. That you love us. And that, that Jesus Is a, is a permanent and eternal reminder of the love that you have poured out on us. That because of your love for the world, you sent your Son to redeem it and to redeem us so that our faith could save us, so that we could have our debt paid that we could have Christ's righteousness counting for us so that his victorious, resurrected life would be the first fruits of a new creation that we will get to experience with you forever God I pray that you would send your spirit to do one of the things your word tells us the Spirit does, and that is convict us of sin, that you would not allow us to think the way this Pharisee thinks, that we would not be able to consider ourselves as people who are not sinners, but that you would be consistently and and. Regularly and constantly by your Spirit convicting us of sin. And that we would respond to that through confession and repentance and receiving the forgiveness that's been purchased on the cross for us by Jesus' blood. And that that would motivate us to love, to love you, to love others in the way that we're called to. I pray that you would cause us to know that we have been forgiven much and that that would produce much love in our lives. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for your life and death and resurrection on our behalf and in our place. It's in your name we pray, amen.